tonight, and, and really for the rest of the summer, um, God kind of laid this on my heart a little earlier this year, um, because how many of you know we don't get everything the first time you hear it? Anybody ever gone to see a movie and then seen it again, and you're like, oh, I didn't know that part was in there, or I didn't know that was there, or, uh, you know, different stuff like that. And so naturally and spiritually speaking, um, we don't get everything the first time. And so God laid on my heart something that I wanted to do uh, this summer, that he wants to do this summer. And what we're going to do is for the rest of this summer on Wednesday nights, I'm going to go back and I'm going to take different messages that we have already taught. And I'm going to give you the series and I'm going to give you the title um, and and when we taught it. And we're going to go back through it. And um, this is my first time doing it. This week I was studying for this one here particularly. And um, I started getting stuff that wasn't even in my original notes. So it's almost like you're getting a recap with a twist on it, like you're getting a little bit extra. And so um, I'm really excited about this, to be able to go through things that we've already taught, things that we've already heard. But to reiterate, uh, Peter, Paul, Jesus, all of them, they, they many times stated, I'm going to keep you in remembrance or I'm going to bring to your reminder uh, different things. The Holy Spirit will bring to reminder things. And so we need to stay uh, in that reiteration mode of continuing to hear, continuing to process, continuing to meditate. And so I'm excited about going through this. And so just as the Holy Spirit leads, I'm going to be pulling different messages that we have taught previously. And um, uh, we're going to go back through them. Uh, maybe go a little bit more in depth since we are on a Wednesday night. We can go a little deeper than maybe we did if it was a Sunday morning message. Um, But let's just see what God wants to do with that. Amen? So through this summer, it's called A Summer to Remember. A Summer to Remember. And this is a summer that we are going to be remembering or reminding ourselves of words that God has already given us. Uh, Remember, these aren't Pastor Mark's messages. This is what God has to say through Pastor Mark. And so this is what he wants to go over. This, This is uh, this tonight's message is from a series that we did last April, right around Easter, called Victorious. Y'all remember that one? We talked about victorious, and we talked about the victorious life of the believer. And so this message tonight is titled, The Last Man Standing. The Last Man Standing. So let's go through this. Amen. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. If you're following along on a smartphone or smart device, um, all the uh, verses and our main bullet points are in there for your reference. You can follow along there. The words are on the screen, obviously. And if you have your Bible with you, you can turn along with us. Amen. Luke chapter 19 and verse 11 says, Now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore he, being Jesus, said, A certain nobleman went into a far country, to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. How many of you know Jesus is coming back for a kingdom? He's not coming back for a religion. He's not coming back for Pentecostals or Baptists or Catholics. He's coming back for a kingdom. He's coming back for a nation of people. Verse 13, so he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, do business Till I come. But his citizens hated him, sent a delegation after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, 
He then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned ten. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little. Uh, have authority over ten cities. At the second uh, came saying, Master, your mina has earned five. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. Then another came saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit. You reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth, I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put the money in the bank that at my coming, I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take from the mina, take the mina from him and give it to him who has ten. But they said to him, Master, he has ten. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given, and from whom? From him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. So this is a parable that Jesus is telling. He is speaking of uh, the kingdom that was lost and that he has now uh, planning, he has now restored to mankind and he's coming back to receive that kingdom. Amen. And so uh, what we see here is actually, if you go back to verse, let's go up back towards the top. In uh, verse 13, he says, So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, Do business till I come. The King James Version says, Occupy till I come. Occupy till I come. The biggest thing that we have to change in our mindset concerning the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God and the victory that we possess in his kingdom, the biggest thing we have to change is that it is not something that we are just staying in one place trying to hold down, but it, this kingdom is always advancing. The kingdom of God is always advancing, always taking more ground. We have to understand this. There are many Christians, many believers that think, I got saved so I'm going to remain the way I am doing what I do until Jesus comes. But from the very beginning, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, God placed something in man's possession. But one of the very first commands he gave to Adam was be fruitful and multiply. Not just watch over everything and leave it the way it is. One of the first commands that God gives in his word is to multiply or get more of what you have in your possession. We've got to understand this because this isn't uh, get saved and sit around. This isn't come into the kingdom and make Jesus my Lord, but still live how I want how or how I did before. Things must change. And now he's looking, now he's saying, I've placed something in your possession now what are you going to do? And then we obviously know that uh, the, the reward that came to the first two servants was you were faithful with much. Now I'll make you ruler over more. You were faithful over little. Now I'll make you ruler over more. Now I'll give you much more. And we got to understand that because sometimes we see believers that have more than we have. And we're thinking, man, I wish I had that. And we don't understand that they were faithful with little. 
Somewhere in their life, they did something appropriately with what was in their possession and gained and multiplied more. So we have to understand this about the kingdom of God, that there is always more that he is wanting to add. This is not remain how we were, remain how we are. We have to be multiplying this thing. God's kingdom is always advancing. God's kingdom is always moving. Uh, Let's go on to uh, Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to go through these verses pretty quick here. Isaiah chapter 9, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it, establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Matthew chapter 11. In verse 12, Jesus says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and and the law prophesied until John. Luke 16, verse 16, just going through these verses. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. Psalm 145, 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. Daniel 4, 3, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion from generation to generation. And then Daniel 7, verse 27, I want to read this to you in the New Living Translation. It says, then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will last forever, and all rulers will serve and obey him. So we see that the position of God's kingdom is not to just guard something. We saw the one servant that got the rebuke, the one servant that got in trouble, did what with his minus, did what with his talents, buried them in the ground. The kingdom, the proper kingdom position is not to guard something. It is to multiply or advance something. That is the nature of God's kingdom. That is how God's kingdom operates. So our proper position as kingdom citizens is to take ground, not just mark a territory and guard it. He said there, do business till I come. I wonder how many believers today are doing business till he comes. Do business till he comes. We're talking about being victorious. So the kingdom of God is always advancing, always taking new territory. You have to understand that victory is an irrelevant concept if there's no battle to fight. See, many people want to be victorious, but without fighting the battles. It's kind of like what we talked about in faith. Many people want great faith, but they don't want to go through the great trials that produce great faith. Because, see, everybody has a measure of faith, just like everybody in this room has muscles. But what determines what your muscles can bear? Some people might be able to push a certain weight in here, and then others might be able to push a greater weight. And some others may have to not may have to slow down and not be able to push even that amount of weight. It depends on how much you use it. Your faith is only as strong as you use it. 
your faith grows by using it. Well, it's the same thing with God's kingdom. We have to be multiplying. We have to be advancing because the victories that God wants us to walk in are ours. But there's a fight. What did Paul say? I have fought the good fight of faith. Why would we need armor if there's no fight? Why would we need armor? Well, Jesus already fought all my battles for me. He did, and he's got you the victory. But there's still work on our part because I'll tell you right now, any believer that wants to lay down and let the enemy walk over him, he will. He's not going to pass up that opportunity. The enemy will never pass up an opportunity to walk over you. God gave me this last week. He said, the enemy does not have the capacity to open doors. He can only walk through the ones you leave open. This church puts responsibility on the believer because Jesus put responsibility on the believer. Because look, here's why. He's given us all resource. He's given us everything that we need to win and overcome and be victorious in this life. So then the question falls on us. Are we leaving the door open? Yes, there's an enemy out there. He is here to steal. He's here to kill. And he's here to destroy. But Jesus came to give life and life more abundantly. But let me ask you, did Adam and Eve have the potential to not fail in the garden? Absolutely. They had every resource necessary to look that serpent in his eyes and say, no, I will not eat the fruit. My God, my creator, my king, my father said, do not eat of this tree. So I will not do it. They had the capacity. So if we're going to be victorious, we've got to understand what role do we play. And so it's not sit idly by and just wait for God's kingdom to come because he's already restored the kingdom. He said, the kingdom is not here or there. It is within you. And so if it's within us, then it's on us to reveal the kingdom and walk in the kingdom. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. I want to show you what this, real va- what this real victory looks like. I want to define what victory looks like. Because I will say this, your victory has already been done. Your victory is a finished product. Jesus, on the cross, said it is finished. It's finished. The Bible says that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is literally lounging back on a throne with his feet propped up. The earth is his, the enemies of the earth are his footstool, the Bible says. He's just hanging out. And everything he did, all the work he did, was so that we could perpetually walk in victory for the rest of our lives as believers. So yes, the victory is done. The victory has been won. And we, can, we, 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 we take Easter and we love to rejoice about it. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Right? We sing the songs and we read the verses and we preach about it every April. And that's something that we like to be excited about, but then we forget that, that we have a part to play in walking in victory. Why do we see so many believers that are 
Why do we see so many believers that seem to be barely making it? We don't see a lot of believers that are advancing territory. We just see a lot of them that are just guarding and protecting what they do have. And they, they lock themselves up in their churches and their prayer meetings and, and their church services and, 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 and say, I'm safe in here. Out there, the devil's going to get me. I mean, I, I know Christians that don't even want to work a secular job. They don't want to be around worldly people. When you don't realize you're the light they're looking for. Yeah, it's dark until you show up. You realize if you have a flashlight in your hand, it's never dark. The second you walk into a dark place, it becomes lit. Okay? So we've got to get out of this mentality and this mode of just guarding, protecting what we have. And don't, and look, most people are fighting a, a battle against the devil where the devil's attacking them. The battle that the believers should be fighting is us attacking him. Most Christians are on the defensive. And these verses tell us we're supposed to be on the offensive. If you watched any sport, you want to be on the offensive. That's when the ball is in your court. That's when you got guys at the plate and men on base. That's when you've got, uh, you've got your men lined up on the line, but you've got a quarterback ready to hike the ball. That's when you've got guys on the court, but you've got the basketball and you're determining where the ball goes, not the other side. You want to be on the offensive. I'm here to tell you tonight that the victory that we have puts us on the offensive. So yes, there's a battle. Ask the San Antonio Spurs or the Miami Heat if they're fighting a battle right now. Ask them. It doesn't matter who won. It doesn't matter who lost. They're both fighting a battle. But see, we want the victory without the battle. We want the victory without the blood, sweat, and tears. We, we want to name it and claim it and, and not have to walk in anything that the Bible tells us to walk in. And so we've got to come out of that. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Now, I want to read this to you in the New Living Translation. And then we're going to point out what God wants us to see in these verses. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, Put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, watch this, you will be standing firm. Some of you may remember this point. This was the defining point of our entire victorious series. 
our victory against the enemy is not in defeating him. It's in outlasting him. Four times in that verse, he tells us to stand or to withstand. See, if you're trying to defeat the devil, I got news for you. He's already defeated. Jesus said he is under your feet. There's no whipping up or beating up on the devil that needs to take place. You need to outlast him. And so the trials that we come into in our life, it's only because we are on the offensive and we're trying to take new ground that belongs to someone else right now. But that kingdom has been restored to us, and so now we can advance the kingdom of God and continue to take territory. Take that job. Don't go to the job and say, man, these people are just a bunch of heathens and they're never going to get saved. You're there to take the job, take the ground, take all that territory. You understand that our bodies, our lives are territory. We were made up of dust. So every heathen at your job that cusses you out and talks behind your back and tries to get you fired and, and you know, says one thing but does another, all those people... That's territory you get to take for the kingdom of God. Well, at least I'm saved. What are we doing? We're burying our talent. And I know I'm going to church. Thank God I'm in church. Now we sound like a Pharisee. But no, we have the light. We're victorious so we can go in there. We can change those people's lives. Change that territory. For the kingdom of God. Advance the kingdom of God. Every time you get someone born again, every time you witness to someone and they accept Jesus, you have just taken territory for the kingdom of God. You have just advanced the kingdom of God onto new soil. And that's what his kingdom looks like. Jesus, or, or God did not tell Adam and Eve, all right, here's your garden. Here's paradise. I think people, if we got to go back in time and see what the Garden of Eden looked like and what Adam and Eve's lives looked like, we would be sadly disappointed. Because we have this picture of they're just laying up, lying around naked, eating fruit all day long, doing nothing. But if you read Genesis 1 and 2, they had work. They were busy. And that be fruitful and multiply was not just have children. He wanted the Garden of Eden to be duplicated all over the earth. Just like he duplicated the Garden of Eden from heaven, he wanted garden, the Garden of Eden to be all over the earth. God gave them a little bit and said, now make more. That's why he said, look, every seed or every fruit has the seed inside of it. And if you take care of it properly, it will bear more fruit. Every plant contains the herb within it. And if you take care of it properly, if you manage my property the way I've asked you to, it will reproduce. It will multiply. It will duplicate. That's what God intended for Adam and Eve. But we know what they did. 
they failed to operate in God's commands. They had every resource to be victorious against the enemy. Notice God never warned them about the, about, uh, the snake. Now, hold, now watch out. There's a snake in there, and he might try to tell you that I'm a liar, and he might try to tell you that my words aren't true, or he might try to tell you that I just want to be your boss and be in charge of you, and I don't want you to be as high as me. I know this guy because he was up here in heaven with me, and he tried to take me over, so watch out. He's probably going to try to get you too. He never said that. The only resource Adam and Eve needed was God's word. Obedience to God's word. Do not eat of this tree. You can eat of all the others. That was enough. That one sentence was enough to keep them alive for the rest of their life. They could have walked in perpetual victory in alignment with God's word. They could have outlasted the devil. And they could have planted the garden all over this world. They could have been fruitful and multiplied. They could have given birth to other flesh that was perfect in God's sight. That's all it takes. So Paul is telling us here to stand, withstand, that as you're advancing... As you're attacking, as you're gaining ground for the kingdom of God, you're going to come into uh, some opposition. You're going to come into some oppression. There's going to be some trials. There's going to be some tests. But if you stand firm, you will outlast him and you'll win every time. Now in Numbers chapter 13, we see that God's people, the Israelites, came into such a case. And in Numbers chapter 13, God's people, they have been promised a land. Promised. E-D. Past tense. This is your land. I mean, not only did he promise it to Moses, he went way back. He went a thousand years back. He told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, This is your land. This is the promised land. This is what I'm giving you. Now, see, a lot of believers, when we think of the promised land, if you close your eyes and you picture what does a promised land look like, you might see uh, lots of trees, lots of animals, and just big, wide-open spaces, and it's just sunny, and it just looks awesome. And it's just waiting for you. There's signs up that say, welcome home. Right? Welcome to the promised land. Right? If someone promises you a car, you're thinking, oh, well, they're they're ready to turn the keys over to me. If someone promises you a house, they've already got it all cleaned out. There's no furniture anywhere. You're able to just move your stuff right on in, right? So then God must have missed it because Moses says, let's send 12 spies into our promised land. And they go in. And they come back. They say, well, well, how was it? Where's the keys? Did you get the keys? Did they vacuum the floors? Did they they clean the carpets? Uh, Actually... um, 
There's people in there. <laughs> there's people in the promised land. God, God must have missed it because there's giants roaming around in there, which I think this is funny. There's only three giants mentioned. You ever heard someone say something like, everyone is doing it or all the, it happens all the time and it, we're like maybe once or twice or maybe like one or two people are? We love to blow things out of proportion. There's giants in the land. They're everywhere. Let me tell you something about your promised land. Your promised land was designed to keep you out. When you come up and you're praying for victory and you come up on the thing that God has promised you, don't be surprised if it's in someone else's possession. God, you promised me that my, my parents would come to know you and that they would be saved. I've been praying about that for years. But they're still alcoholics. They still smoke and drink and hang out with their old friends and do all kinds of crazy stuff. They're in possession of someone else. But that doesn't mean that God hasn't promised them to you. God, you promised me that job and someone else got it. And what do we do? We give up. We go back to guarding. We go back to burying our talents in the ground. When God promises something, that doesn't mean that it's uninhabited. That means he wants you to drive the other owner out. He has set you up. He's given you all victory. He's given you every resource. Everything you need to, when you go in there, you can drive out what is, whatever is there. Whatever devil is in the way, whatever person is blocking them. We have got to learn to not turn around just, be, just because we see something that God has promised us inhabited. That's the time we put on the fight. Joshua and Caleb said, we are well labeled. God has already promised us. What did they do? They went back to God's word. They went back to God's faithfulness. He brought us across the Red Sea. He opened up the rock. He gave us manna from heaven. He had birds giving us food. He's delivered us from every uh, enemy that has tried to attack us. He made the sun stand still for an entire day. And so now he will take us into this promised land. This land is ours, but we know what happened. Because of the 10 spies, because people love to go with the majority, I'll tell you right now, righteousness will stand all by itself. See, wicked people, they have to find others to side with them. But righteousness, a righteous person will say, I don't care what you say and I don't care what you do. I'm not budging. I'm standing my ground all by himself. But see, the people went with the majority, the 10 spies that came back saying, look, it, it's flowing with milk and honey. It looks just like God said it would look. We're carrying back uh, uh, things of grapes on big old huge sticks. It's awesome. But there's people in it. 
So God's wanting us to understand today that part of the victory that we have to conquer, part of the victory that we have to conquer is the test and the trials, the opposition that comes against us when we are advancing and pursuing. There are some Christians that they've never really experienced tests and trials. You know why? Because they're not advancing any territory. If you're not a threat to the devil, he's going to leave you alone. Well, I don't know, man. All of a sudden, I became a Christian. It was like I got a bullseye on my back. It's because you just became a threat. You just showed up on his radar. When you were living for him, you were working for him. And you were oppressed and didn't even know it. Now watch this. Do not focus on the enemy, but rather what the, en- what the enemy is trying to keep from you. I'm going to tell you right now, you want enemies in your life. You want enemies in your life. You want that opposition. You want those tests and those trials. Let me tell you why. I like to put it this way. Mall cops don't protect the president. You get close to the president, and they have the toughest, baddest dudes on the planet around him. What am I saying? When you come up against a strong test, when you come up against a strong trial, when you come up against an enemy that seems like there's no way around this, you know what that means? Your promise is on the other side. You know what that meant for the Israelites when they came in and started coming into contact with the Malachites and Philistines and Ammonites and the Hittites? You know what that meant when they started seeing all those guys? We're here. We've arrived. We're seeing those guys because they're in our stuff. The closer you get to your promise, the bigger the enemy gets. But don't focus on the enemy. Focus on what he's trying to keep away from you. See, Joshua and Caleb said, who cares about the enemy? That just means that we are here. That just means that we're in the promised land. And so they focused on the land. They focused on the promise of God. They focused on his word. They focused on his faithfulness. They said, who cares about the enemy? That just means that they're guarding our stuff. Our victory is not to defeat the devil. It's to outlast the devil. And you can outlast him if you keep a bigger picture of what you're trying to attain. See, sports athletes, they keep the bigger picture, man. They don't think about the opponent that's in front of them. They're thinking about the ring. They're thinking about the trophy. They're thinking about the championship. They're thinking about the awards. They're thinking about the bonuses. They're thinking about the paycheck. They have a bigger goal in mind. And that enemy, I I, I love what uh, Greg Popovich said the other day to his team, to the San Antonio Spurs. He said, it's supposed to be hard. It's the finals. They're over on the sidelines. They're all huddled around him over on the bench. 
And he's yelling at me. He says, it's supposed to be hard. It's the finals. <laughs> it's supposed to be hard because your promise is right there. It's supposed to be hard because the devil's not just going to let you walk in and take it, but he has no authority to keep it. And if you walk in your authority, if you walk in the victory that God has already made available to you through his son, Jesus Christ, you have access every time. So don't give up when you see something standing in the way. You've got that eye on that property. God, you know that we've been believing God for property. You know that's what we've been looking for, but somebody else is in it. Somebody else owns it. They're asking for something way beyond. Don't get discouraged. That's just something that's trying to stand in between you and the promise. And if God promised it, he will stay faithful to his word. His word will not return void. It will accomplish all that it was set out to do. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you that through you, through your son, Jesus, we have the victory that you have promised us. Father, we don't get discouraged when we see enemies. We don't get discouraged when we see things standing in our way. We don't get discouraged when tests and trials start to show up in our life. We get excited. We begin to rejoice. We begin to realize we are right on the verge of taking over. We're right on the verge of walking into that thing you've been promising us. The harder it gets, the closer we get. The bigger it gets, the closer we get. So, Father, we stand firm on your word. We stand. And so when we've done all to stand, we'll stand. We won't, grit, we won't get weary in well-doing. We won't become weak. But we'll remember that through you, we can do all things. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Father, we thank you for the victory today. We rejoice in the victory today that you have already attained for us. We don't have to wait for next April to thank you for what your son Jesus did on that cross. We thank you for the stripes he took, the, the price he paid, the blood that was shed so that we can watch, walk in perpetual victory for the rest of our lives. We thank you for that and we honor you. And now the greatest way that we can honor you in that victory is by walking in it. What a disgrace to you that we don't lean on the resources you made available. What a disgrace to you that we don't continue to walk in everything you have made available for our lives. Father, may we not have that attitude. May we keep the attitude of you made this available for me and now I'm going to walk in it. Right now, where, where you're at, if there's something that you know God has promised you, something you know that God has made available to you, something you know, it might be property, it might be a house, it might be your kids, it might be your parents being saved, it might be a job or a career. I don't know what it is, but right now, where you're at, thank him for the victory and thank him for giving you all the resource that's necessary to overcome. Father, we thank you. And the more enemies we see, the bigger they get, the closer they get. That just means we're on the verge of walking in that promise you've made available. So, Father, we're going to stand. We're going to advance. You said the violent take it by force. We're not going to take anything by force, by accident, like a weakling. No, we're going to stand on your word. We're going to be bold. We're going to be strengthened. 
in the victory you have made available to us. We thank you for this tonight. We thank you for everything you're doing in and through our lives. In Jesus' name, and everyone said...